Yeah, anyway, uh, here's Wonderwall. Yeah, Ripper Terror. Alright, mate, you're right. I've had a bloody guff. The Big Stiff Podcast. You guys obviously have done your homework, which is really, really important. I've enjoyed this totally. And hopefully you'll go on the bigger and bigger and better things because you're a pair of great guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Big Stiff Podcast. Scotty Baldwin, how are we, mate? Good, mate. Good. I'm excited about this one. Mate, I'm red raw. You'd be almost it. big stiff. You'd be that stiff. There, Scotty. Hey, who's Have a look that, at that. Who's yeah. that talking? Is that yeah, Jason Ackermanis? It is. It is the one and only. Uh, <laughs> how are we? How are we? Oh, we're good, we're good boys. I was just admiring his mustache there. You got to get you know the full beard. You know, because oh, yeah, only, yeah, yeah. only Vikings and very important people get the full beard. But that is some oh, mustache. Porn stars. It's a work in progress. It, it's porn building. Stars. Porn stars <laughs> and the big stiff. I don't think you can go wrong. Yeah, exactly. I think you're yeah, in the exactly. right podcast. Uh, <laughs> you're sending the midget tossing, but you know I think we'll be all right. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, season two, season two, yeah, season two. Yes, second. So episode. I'm going to give the the listeners a little bit of a background. So Jason Ackermanis is a former Australian rules footy player, three time premiership winner with the Brisbane Lions. He won the most highest individual honour, that is the Brownlow Medal, four time All Australian, and is an inductee into four. Hall of Fames, and now five, as he is, he's just been inducted to the Big Stiff Podcast Hall of Fame. Oh, Mate, what a that rap. Is great news. Well, I was worried at 39 being in four Hall of Fames, and that was it. You know, you couldn't couldn't peak anymore. I don't think they're going to put me in the Real Estate Hall of Fame that I'm in now, or maybe the Crypto Hall of Fame with Zoo Coins or, or the AI. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so we can I'll get to 10. Out. We can get to 10 before you're 50. Imagine that. 10. <laughs> fucking oath. I'll be as fat as Pavarotti just celebrating. Bring your own bathwater, boys. Yeah, exactly. So, Aka, we've got, thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, we've got some little questions just to break the ice. You keen? Yeah, well, I mean, Ben Cousins said I got a few questions to break the ice, but that was, that was a completely <laughs> other story. Yes. <laughs> Oh, fuck, fuck me! On you, Ben. I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's a listener of the show. Yeah, um, I'm sure he. If you ever listen to anything, <laughs> so would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, the beauty about life is it's this crazy, crazy journey. So you know, you, you go through the twists and turns. I certainly could have done things a lot better. So. If uh, someone says pause and you can stay your age at 44, which I am now, I'd probably take it because, you know, 44 seems right. I, I talked to a lot of older gentlemen not having a dad in my life, so I have a lot of, a lot of friends who are much older. I, I love it because you get all their gold, but they yeah. always talk about, you know, oh, you're 44, oh, what would it be like to be 44 or 43? And I'm like, you fucking, is it that good? Is it that bad when you get that old? I mean, shit, anyway, these it's boys, uh, I don't know what happens all. to them. It's not that old, but they, nah. they must turn into geriatrics or, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you get on some drugs or something, boys. It's, it's, you're not a professional <laughs> athlete. Yeah, you know, exactly. get on some testosterone, walking around with a stiffy like you're 18 again. I mean, seriously, it's kind of that bad. So I would say probably pause. That's a long-winded yeah. answer, but it definitely Yeah, pause. me too. Me too. Would you rather go on a roller coaster or go skydiving? I've done both. I mean, skydiving is, uh, is a great thrill. I actually probably – I'd like to do bungee jumping. I haven't done that yet, but uh, yeah, I, I think Scott, 
Skydiving, when you do it, I don't know if you boys have done it, but I when haven't. you roll out of the no. plane in that first five or six seconds, because the pressure is so much you, can, you can't breathe, it's horrible. So it's this, uh, you've got... If you ever want an endorphin rush or a dopamine hit, uh, uh, you couldn't get a drug as good as that. Fedek and Ben Cousins could be oh, traveling the world mate. for a hundred years. I reckon. I reckon. I reckon kicking a goal in a grand final will fucking give you a pretty good rush. Yeah, it's pretty good when the when the crowd's full and it's a hundred thousand people. Not all of them are on your side though. But the, kicking big goals late in quarters or games when the build up, you can hear it. You know, they're yeah, coming. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. about to get it and you kick a goal and you can hear that yeah. that sort of crescendo of the noise because you don't really just hear noise. You see, you feel it. And yeah. in the MCG, you could be. I remember being probably three or four meters from Michael Voss, screaming at him to to go and pick someone up. And uh, he couldn't hear me. So, you know, it just shows you how 100,000 people could be so loud. So I think I'll probably take uh, the skydiving again because a roller coaster is a bit predictable. You see where yeah, it's coming and yeah. I think the mind likes that, oh, you know, is the parachute going to open, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 I've got yeah, some, yeah, sure. you know, some East German on the front and it doesn't speak any English. Can he pull the fucking thing? Like, you know, <laughs> that would be far more entertaining. So true. So true. Oh, he's out. He's out. He's out. Um, I'm going to pull it for him. Yeah, would you rather be at a bar or on the dance floor, or both? Oh, the bar, yeah, the bar. I'm not much of a dancer myself. I mean, I did a lot of my best moves on the footy field, but yeah, my wife would say that she, you know, I'm not a bad dancer. But you remember Eli, um, Elaine in uh, Seinfeld? Oh, yes, the, the four yeah, kicks, that, my favorite episode. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That, <laughs> that's how. Like the baby Black, that's how Simon Black dances. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he need about four beers in him, and then he starts getting out there, and he's got the leg going. You're like, oh my god! Like, I love anyone who's seen him. So, so I think I can dance better than that. You know, my my daughters uh, think I'm hilarious because they do all the TikTok. So I got to get in there with them and my three daughters. Yeah, and so good. The eldest ones wrote me in. Oh, I don't think I'm too bad, but you know, be like Michael Jordan when he was there with Michael Jackson. You know, I still think I can move right, but no, I can move like him. So I suppose you just uh, stick to your lane. You know, drink is easy, bicep curls, you just order another one. You yeah, can't yeah. Really, you're only oh, hurting yourself, good. you know. But dancing I could probably hurt another people, a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to do I used to do break dancing when I was a kid. So I used to do the helicopter oh, no and shit, shit when I yeah, so oh, I wasn't so you too bad. So I had a bit of go. I had a bit of swag as my daughter calls it, you know. Scoot, scoot. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> biggest phobia. Biggest phobia. Biggest phobia. Oh, so that's a great question. Shit. Uh what do I I really do Besides the fear of failing, which is horrible and it's not really that mm. bad, I think uh, I think my biggest fear would have to be probably a home invasion Ooh. against a group of men, like a group of men because you're outnumbered, it's quite you're topical, in your house. Isn't it? Todd, I yeah, you, in the week. I sort of mm. feel like it's the only time. I'd never want a gun in my house, but that would be a – it'd be an unfair fight. But if they've got machetes and I'm up against three blokes – you know, I'm happy to get the the blood stains out of my carpet, to be honest, because you know they're in. They shouldn't be there. They're obviously on drugs. The use that should be at the house, trying to yeah. rob me for whatever. I think uh, that that would be a safe bet if I could get a handgun around with a silencer on, just pop them off and say, "Don't come here again." By the way, good luck. Uh, Pay for your funeral, you fuck would get out. So that, that would be my <laughs> exactly. That would be my fear for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean that's that's a pretty good one. I didn't even. That's outside the box. Um, yeah. Favorite favorite movie. That's my favorite movie, yeah, my favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. I really love that movie. Oh, but again, I mean, some, same yeah, as Titanic, yeah. mate. Everyone, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I love that movie. I think with um, I think the movie it wasn't really a box office hit, but like my my actual all time favorite movie. If you know, Shawshank Redemption's got this emotion to it. So, but if I if it if you take that out and just said, what would I sit down and watch for the stupid humor that I love so much? It'd be one of the Naked Gun movies. You know, you remember uh, Frank Drebman and. Uh, Leslie yep. Nielsen, who's passed away now as a Canadian, very funny man. It'd probably be that one. I reckon if you just said, look, I just want you to watch one, then uh, then do that. But I, my wife's family, uh, mum and dad are both deaf, of course. So she's a coder, and there's a movie that just came out called Coda, which is out of America. So mm. uh, I'm yet to watch that. I didn't want to watch it with my wife because she'd be like uh, crying with laughter and then crying with tears because it's, it's so close to home. But, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to see that one takes the, the top gong. But, yeah. It's, it's on the Naked list. Gun, on. You know when Naked Gun at 33 and a third, <laughs> Frank Drebin, he's got like the, the mic on and he goes, he, the counsellor all there talking about, you know, the various things that they're doing a press conference live and he ducks in the toilet, does the biggest elephant piss of all time. <laughs> And then he drops this huge fart. I'm like, man, that's just this gold. There's not enough fat jokes yet there. So I yeah, that, so you can't get away with that stuff these days. They're classic. Oh, no, yeah. You offend no. someone, you know. Like it's when you – mate of mine just went into a lift not that long ago and this uh, rather large lady and, you know, I'm not uh, – no problem with being large. Yeah, I mean, yeah there's nothing wrong with know, it. It's not hard to do, just eat lots of shit. But anyway, yeah, she came exactly. out of the elevator and – and as he walked in, he, he just realised you dropped the biggest fucking fart you've ever, ever smelled. So, you know, like that shit just happened. And I cannot I cannot think what my reaction would be as the doors close and I realised that. Oh, you know, like you filthy like You can stand your own fart just, but, you know, when other people do it, it's like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. the worst thing I've ever smelled. So, whew, poor Jimbo. Yeah, exactly. Jimbo, if you're listening, feel sorry for you, mate. So <laughs> let's go. Let's let's take it right back, mate. Tell us about your childhood and when you first got into AFL. Yeah, I got into Aussie rules. AFL's the league, remember, boys. I always try and educate Queensland. Yeah, sorry, go, Aussie, I, Aussie rules. Sorry, yeah, you're sorry, right. I play AFL. You said, no, you don't play under 10s down at Morningside or wherever it is. So mm. You don't play in the AFL. You play as the rules. But anyway, I'm always, I even do this to my cousins who, are, who should know better there. They're Aussie rules people. But anyway, I was I was sort of – it's a bit of a crazy story because my dad – my mum was married. She she went from here in Brisbane down to Mildura for the picking season. My mum's husband, John Ackermanis, would, would be off down working for Telstra back there, Telecom, down in Melbourne. And anyway, she had too many drinks on a Christmas night on 75. And, and uh, one of the, the workers where she was working, uh, who was a mechanic, uh, Dennis, he, uh, you know, ended up, you know, doing a one, two, three, and that that started what ended up becoming me. And in the end, when when she fell pregnant with me, John worked out he wasn't there, so that marriage sort of split up. So it's this crazy kind of the the fact that he was married and and was all was married his whole life. He died a couple of years ago, and and I have three half siblings, but I didn't know any of them at the time. And then two and a half years oh, later. Wow. Uh, my brother Rory Ritardo, as he's called, he he uh, he was born so same dad, same mum, looked very alike. Uh, he's a copper now, so you know, which is amazing because he had the best weed Good to know. Good to know. you know, going on when we were seventeen, eighteen. So I think I think the irony in all of that, and my mum and I, I still would have some type of like hyperactivity or hasty HD uh, or mm. sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, some some deficit where my mind doesn't make enough dopamine. So I'm always sort of don't sleep that much, always looking to do stuff. So thankfully, 
when my mum took me to the doctor, the doctor said, Mr. Ackermanis, nothing wrong with your son. That now they probably do it a bit differently. But then they was like, nah, just go play sport. So I went down to South Missouri Footy Club. I probably started playing Aussie Rules when I was five, but the only time I was able to play How was cool. seven. So yeah, when right. I was seven, I played under 11s. So I was seven, eight, wow. and then mum moved back to Queensland. And we moved just around the corner here to Albion. And around the corner from Albion was Maine. At that stage, Maine was yeah. the biggest Aussie Rules club. So I started playing for Maine, who were just fucking shit ass. Had to carry him every fucking week. And then <laughs> I was uh, I was playing under 10s. And then, of course, my mum was concerned that the, the standard wasn't good enough. So I would go under 10s, under 12s, and under 14s. So I learned to play Aussie Rules up against much bigger kids. And, of course, being a, a small redhead Viking that I was, it was super quick and run around like a lunatic and kick goals, you know. I was getting tagged and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be playing three games in a weekend. So that's how I learned to play, uh, you know, for Maine. And, and obviously being born in Mildura in Victoria, mum coming home and being raised here in Queensland, obviously I'm very, very grateful she came home because there wasn't a lot going on in Mildura. I mean, if you're in the fucking mafia, you'd probably be going right. But <laughs> yeah, rules the is, yeah, the fruit <laughs> picket. There's, there's not a lot other than cash going on there. So there was, <laughs> I was happy to get out. And uh, I've been back there. My dad actually moved up here and lived with my brother, uh, Rory for many years until he passed away a couple of years ago. But out of that, you know, obviously I'm born, which I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, a, you know, an affair. But then I've got I've got a great half-brother, Nigel. I know shit name, but he's a good fella. I've got an <laughs> older half-sister. Uh, she's really good, Alyssa. And then I've got a younger half-sister by about five months, and she's got six kids. Uh, and she's, wow. she's good, but you oh, never wow. hear from her because she's got six kids. I mean, yeah, yeah, they, they breed them. Breed them quick in that family. Oh, my God. So, Fucking very busy. <laughs> yeah, all very busy. They, they should be on the big stiff. They are very big stiff. Too much stiff. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Too much stiff. So, yeah, that, that's how I got Aussie rules. And then coming back here in Brisbane, I was, I was here since uh, about nine in 86. And, you know, Queensland and Brisbane has always been home. I think uh, my mum's legacy, because she did it so tough for us, you know, she's quite a uh, single parent. Can't be easy, particularly with a kid with ADHD like me running yeah, around yeah. and yeah. not really going that well in school and beating up other kids. So, you know, it's it's got as good and bad. Yeah. Um. So there's a story of you getting bullied uh, at school. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, Steve, I got bullied all the time because I, I went yeah. to a rugby. I went to a rugby union, uh, sorry, rugby league school that, for a while, which was Wavell Heights, which is not far from here. That's a powerhouse, uh, yeah. It's yeah. a powerhouse. They, they they have some great rugby union play, uh, rugby league players play out of there, and you know I had a pretty bad year, nearly died when I was fifteen. So I come back to school oh, and I had the oh, athletics Jesus. carnival. Had a bad blood clot in the brain. Very similar to you know some some guys. For me, it was three months of horribleness, like isolation and ups and downs, and it's, it's something that uh, I wouldn't wish upon anyone. But I had a year off footy, so when I was fifteen, I'd, it was it was a great year. I'd, I'd grow, you know, I'd, I'd grown six inches and and also got taller. It's fucking great. Anyway, I'm here at home, you know, on my mattress for three months and. Never thinking – the doctors said never play footy again. You know, they're always full of good news. So I wasn't able to do much. So I go back to school, do the athletics carnival. That athletics carnival changed my life because a guy saw that and he ended up coming down. Dave Ginter was the head athletics coach at Nudgee College and he said, mate, uh, we need to go in the under-16s and do the one, the two, the four. I'd, I'd done the four and 52 on grass. So I was, you know, flying. Fuck, yeah. Considering I'd been on my back for three months. So it was like the really bad and the really good all in this year at 15. But the next day, I well, I go over to Nudgee and I see brother Steve McLaughlin. He's one of the good brothers too, not one of those bad brothers. Anyway, he comes <laughs> over. He, he gives me a scholarship 
and he said, well, you can come here and you can start in the last term, which was term four. So I go back to school and this guy, Ricky Paul, who's a big Maori, he's the toughest kid in school, he come down and, and he, he, beat, he beat the shit out of me. Me, I was kicking with a mate of mine, you know, 10, 20, 50, 90 metres apart and shit left and right foot. But he, he, he didn't like that I was playing Aussie rules. And so that's the way it was for me growing up. So going to Nudgee College didn't make it any better because I was on an athletic scholarship, so I'm not paying. Uh, yeah. I couldn't afford the, the 18 grand a year or whatever it was back then. And in my class was a famous Wallaby guy called Elton Flatley. So yeah, Flats I was always... going to ask you about Nudgee, Elton Flatley. Fucking... Yeah, he's a superstar, yeah. but, you know, he's a great fella too, Flats. But he's never there because he's always getting, uh, you know, Rolls Royce treatment, getting physio and shit. But, you know, he turned out to be a, a wonderful Wallaby. And and for me, it was like, uh, you guys are gay AFL, you guys are shit, you guys are, are weak. And I'd always – and because the first day of school, I bought Mozzie Reels footy and I'd bounce yeah. it around and just annoy the shit out of all the other students. And because Magic Johnson – He's a famous basketball, would do that. He would dribble down the bus stop and then dribble around the school. And I thought that's a good idea. So I did that and ruined many balls, but I got a few bowies back uh, with a bit of ego because they couldn't catch a ball or handball. And then in year 12, I'm at Nudgee College on this scholarship and I played my first game in the AFL. So most of my my school buddies had no idea I was even playing. Like I'd go down and play in Victoria every second week and we'd, we'd generally insane. lost the Bears and then go back. And if it wasn't – I was on the back page of the paper the, the first week that I was going to play. And how many how many of my, my fellow students knew I was playing? Fucking none, except for the guys really? who was in the photo and, wow. and the, other, the other Aussie rulers who were around. So it wasn't really – like it should have been, like it should have been a, a great thing. I mean, they end up producing arguably one of the best Aussie rules players that's played at Najee. And mate, there's no, I'm not on any board out there. Like they're just rugby, yeah. rugby, cricket, fucking whatever else, anything else but Aussie rules. So, that's a modern day travesty. Yeah, that's ridiculous. They're, they're just still like that. And that's the way that the Christian brothers are. But Aussie rules could have easily been the number one sport. They only lost by a vote in like 1904. And they said it was a Mexican game, like fucking retards, and they end up playing <laughs> rugby union. So, you know, the history will say it wasn't far off, but, you know, even now they won't play – the GPS schools won't play Aussie rules. So you have, that's to, ridiculous. Me, you have to go to club. Yeah. And that's that's what it's like growing up here. You just – you know, Mate, just I, so... I, went, I went to Ipi Grammar, which is a GPS school as well, but we had to, like, play in, like, Div 2 or something. Like, it, we had to, like, force our way into an AFL team. And we won the comp. But, um, yeah, you're right, Aka. It's, it's nowhere near where it should be. No, they, they should be taking it by the scruff of the neck and doing yeah, something yeah. with it. They've got really good true. teachers out there who are actually ex-AFL listed players and they don't even use them. And that's just the fucking stupidity of it all. It's like, yeah, yeah, it you know, you give a premier – you know, a fucking mystery virus out of China, the fucking longest thing ever made out of China called the <laughs> coronavirus, and they fucking shit themselves and think that, they're, you know, all of a sudden they're Julius Caesar and, you know, some kind of tyrant. Like, fit. Exactly, mate. We're talking the same language here. So, yeah, um, back back to Nudgy Col- College. Um, what ref, uh, Aussie rules did you play when you were at school and when were you scouted for the Brisbane Bears? Yeah, so 16, I was able to go back and play Aussie Rules, and then I played in the under-17s Teal Cup, which is the old Teal Cup, which is the old system, and I played in Adelaide against uh, the other states, and and it's good players when the younger play up, so I was good yep. enough to play up, and then I felt I played again as a 17-year-old the following year, and I'd already, after 16, that carnival actually got best on ground at Footy Park, a place I never played a bad game after that, loved it. So we played WA, best on ground, and then the Bears said, oh, look, can you come do the preseason? So that preseason, I did all the skill drill days. They didn't make me do all the ridiculous running that Walls used to make everyone do. So I, I sort of was lucky there, but it was my intro into it. And so I'd be training in the summer down at UQ 
it's hot and it's hard to get grounds and you know it was just yeah. uh, it was crazy yeah. trying to get parking and shit so we did that and then the following year i made the 17s team again um and then we went played in perth and another place i never played a bad game love perth and then got an all australian jumper and that that was really i was sort of already going to get on the list uh, where they had a local selection which is like they do now with the academy picks but you know to get out of the draft and not have to go on the draft and it was good for me because i could be at home i could finish my year 12 i already you know i was in a good school at nudgy college so it worked all right it certainly worked great for me and the bears at that stage were like man we get this guy out of the draft you know don't have to go into the draft we get him myself michael voss clark keating oh, uh, all, all blokes, all blokes out of the draft. as well like yeah, yeah michael voss like two of the best AFL players to ever fucking play the game out of the yeah, draft. So, so like- Sydney, so I played against uh, Leo Barry when I was 16 on the oh, yeah. Leo, Leo was fucking huge. He destroyed me. He was this big, strong guy who could nearly run as quick as me. And so I'm like, oh, man. So that was the kind of guys that Sydney got. So they got Leo yeah, Barry, yeah. obviously went on to be a, a superstar defender yeah. and, you know, just no one knew what was going to happen when he had the ball. He was just crazy. He was, he was amazing. So – that that was the kind of system. It was good for the states. They don't do it as much now, but which is a shame. But it's always good to see Queensland kids. We we had a couple of great Queensland kids that that we end up getting back later. Mount Michael, but we had Maxie Hutchin and these kind of guys in those academy yeah, or in that yeah. group, and didn't quite get them. And yet they're like some of the best fullbacks in the last twenty five years. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you made your debut for the Bears back in grade twelve. Um, you played Carlton that day, who were they were, everyone knows they were a powerhouse at the time, and mate, you mm. kicked a goal. Tell us about finding out that moment you were going to debut, and then finally playing in the AFL and making your dream come true. Well, what happened was, see, I got tipped off by our trainer, it's a runner at the time, and uh, and Rob Dixon, his name, Rob Dixon was a, a great filmmaker, Dicko, and Dicko, yes. Dicko uh, did a, a lot of great job. He went to, fortunately, had a, a Zimbabwean South African wife was over there and got killed. Uh, some oh, locals went over Jesus. the top of a rise on sunset and hit him about 160 k's an hour, killed him and his two boys, and the wife survived. Oh, so yeah. it was a horrible thing. And but Dicko tell, told me he comes in, he goes. Uh, he goes, congratulations, Zach, you're going to play your first game. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, Digo? Like, no one's told me this shit. And he goes, hey, well, you didn't hear from me because he would have been in the meetings. Anyway, yeah. Wolsey calls me in and, you know, by now, um, Wolsey's a very intimidating man. He's like 6'5", he's a huge man. And you go into his office. No one ever wanted to go into his office because you're always in trouble. But he comes and brings me in. He says, congratulations, you're going to play your first game. I was real footy. You're going to play on a guy called Scott Camperale. He's going all right. Scotty was about 21. I was 18. So yeah. uh, he said he's playing on the wing. Have a go at him, and it, look, Carlton were unbelievable that year. They lost two games, won the flag, uh, were were wonderful, and and I, playing on Scott Cambrelli was a, a great uh, initiation because unfortunately for Scott, he had a he had a bad case of the flu and he pulled a heart muscle or something. Anyway, he went off, and, and that was the end of Scott. I didn't have Scotty for cat. long because he was hard to play on. He ran harder forward than he ever did uh, in any other discipline on the earth. He was amazing, and he yelled for it, and he always seemed to get it. So. Uh, then I played on Brad Pierce came out who had the man bum before as a man bum, poof bum, whatever they call it these days. And he, he was really loose. So I got 19 touches and I kicked my first goal. So it wasn't a bad start. You know. Fuck, that's, that's a huge. good start. Yeah, that's, a, that's, like, that's a perfect start know. for you because like you needed that. Like You were always going to make it. You, you knew deep down you were always going to make it. But that for a perfect start 
priceless yeah it was a good start it was uh i didn't get as uh, 19 touches for a long time after that so against the best side in the comp that year it wasn't too bad yeah, it was a hot huge. day in brisbane it was good i had uh, obviously a, a looser opponent i could tend to read it pretty well but yeah they're big boys and and they try and hurt you especially if you're young so you got to stand up to them or, or take take it you take it for three or four years until you get big enough to really yeah, 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 match yeah. it with them but you know some guys come in you know, now the good teams say, well, you know, whoever going to draft in the first round, they've got to be able to play round one next year. So the, the guys yeah. are more developed. I, I needed a few more years being a Queensland kid, but I also wasn't as big and strong as I would. I was 72 kilos when I started. I probably played at my prime about 81. So there's another nine kilos, but that's big, lean body mass running, yeah. running, and, yeah. and running at the same sort of speed as you're doing at 18 like I did. 48 and a half or 400. So every time you put on a kilo of weight, it took me like nearly another, you know, put on four kilos, I'd trim it back to two kilos. And, and then by the next preseason, I could do the same running times again. So it takes time to get good cardiovascular wise. So it, it's a, it, it was, yeah, it was always that four seasons really to take me that, that long to get that good. Awesome. Were you quite um, nervous before your first game or were you excited? You're ready to fucking go. Oh, no, I was fucking nervous. I was Correct, uh, yeah. anxious, anxious like all. ADHD, ADHD kids, yep. you know. I just uh, thankfully the game and the the heat and the you know the running and stuff. It's uh, so that's uh, one of my one of my business partners. You can you can wait. I mean, we'll chase him all day, so you can wait. And you know, fucking, you know, I was I was you know sweating bullets, and, and you know we're nervous because the body has a sympathetic nervous system that you go for a shit or a piss or you know even yep. before I played basketball tonight, like you know I probably feel like going to the toilet. Like you're like man, you you played in front of hundred thousand people. You're going to play good one basketball. I'm the same. The so nervous. It's words. only him. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's just human nature. So you can imagine what it was like before we had to go into battle. You know, like you you're a chance to die and. It, it yeah, sort of feels yeah. like that. You must feel like they must have felt for seven million years, you know, taking on the dickheads down the road or, or being, a, mm. you know, a Spartan or, a, you know, a mad yeah, Viking yeah. Like, like we once were. Sure. So um, the merger between Brisbane and Fitzroy happened in 1996. Uh, he finished mm. last in 98. Lee Matthews joined as head coach in 99. You were an All-Australian mm. that year. Was there a sense that things had shifted personally? and for the club in a positive way. Um, it's well known you had some differences with Lee, but how did he change the club? Yeah, well, there's lots of little things you probably miss in that, that journey. We, we get the merger. Mm. I, I was happy with the merger because we got seven players. I mean, Chris Johnson, the only one that stayed out of the seven. Yeah, the, yeah, others, yeah. the others were good, but didn't for injury and a few other things, didn't quite make it, and the list was, was going okay. But we had Wolsey, we finished eighth, and then John Nordy came and we got the third eighth the next year then last so there was so much division in the group by the time lee we we convinced lee and i, I say it even now like gold coast down the road here have been a basket case really they should be getting alistair clarkson or someone of that note so yes. you get lee at the end of 98 was a absolute coup and i think lee while he said no a couple of times andrew island persisted and and persevered and he said Look, well, mate, these guys aren't that bad and it's funny, we really only had like three really good players come in that went from that team that was probably on the field at last to first, you know, three years later. So when Lee came, he took myself, Justin Lepage, Daryl White, Chris Johnson, all from pretty much forwards to defenders. And that yep. was it's a big risk, but that taught us how to defend, but it also made us incredibly attacking once we turned the ball over. We had quick guys with skill in the back half. So myself yep. and Leper that year, all Australian, and then we we also drew with the uh, the BNF. And so, you know, we'd, we'd really not been 
anywhere near the bin. If we weren't really playing great footy, we certainly weren't anywhere near all Australian. So to be in the best 22, it was great for Lee to take us back there. But for us to play so well, uh, it, it probably gave Leper, myself and, and Chris and, and DJ an amazing shot in the arm for our career. So it was it was the universe helping the brother out, no doubt, because we, we ended up going on. I went more in the midfield after that. Obviously, the Brownlow was in 2001 and we played in the flags. But that building time, we end up getting – I mean, Blackie came on. Every, everyone else got a lot older and more experienced. Yep. But we got Martin Pike. Uh, Mel Michael yes. came up from Collingwood, and then we probably got we got Desi Headland as number one draft pick for coming last. They're really the only three players that added to that list. So you go from last in a rabble with a, with a coach that was not really going anywhere, and the, and the players were off into having Lee and the defensive mindset. You know, tackle and dump, get your head lower, things you could do back in those days. And we start to, you know, offense was never a problem. And we really started to benefit from his uh, expert understanding of what a premiership team would take. And we just, man, we, we had nothing to do but believe in him. He was like, God, he was like, whatever you say, man, how high do you want to jump? Who do you want us to yeah, hit? Yeah, let's there. do it. Let's do it. You mentioned Martin Pike. He's mad as a cut snake, isn't he? Yeah, he is, but, you know, Pikey and I have a, a great friend. So it's sort of funny. Pikey's a guy, and he'll, he'll tell you, like, you get four beers into him and you fucking get the fuck out of there because, you know, <laughs> I, I remember we were on a footy trip. We were on a footy trip in uh, in New Orleans before it got flooded and probably 2004, we just, you know, we, oh, 2003, we might have won three flags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And me and, and me, I got stuck with him at some bar at 4 a.m. and fucking did I regret it. I could not go anywhere. <laughs> He just, he would have been on his 18th beer and he's like, this isn't here, mate, you fucking don't move. I love you, you know, I love you. He's always got my back. So <laughs> we we had a good relationship and I'm really glad we were good friends because he, in the end, you know, on the field, man, he, he intimidated everyone. So when he oh, had the back, uh, I used to run my taggers past him and past Lynchy and all the big blokes and Brownie and they'd, they'd always give it to him. And, you know, you, you can't help but love guys like that because it's not an easy thing if you don't really respect your teammate is getting tagged. Mm. Uh, the other players in the midfield are getting tagged. So they're, they're all like, you know, doing their own thing, trying to help each other out. But of course, we've got to get the footy as well. So, you know, Pikey was a great guy to have out there on the wing. And yeah, uh, we, we certainly wouldn't have been as successful without him scaring the living shit out of everyone, really. <laughs> That's what he did. Yeah, yeah. He's the, the only man ever to headbutt a CEO. Unfortunately, uh, Michael Bowers, who he headbutted at <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. He just passed away, but man, only man ever three three flags. He said, "I fucking had enough of you," and then whack, and then, <laughs> that was the end of him. So, uh, oh, that's so that's good. The craziness, that's the craziness of uh, of Pikey. But you you love him as a teammate. You hate to play against So we we touched on the pre-show. You won a three three uh, caps, three premiership titles, two thousand one. Let's start. You got married that year. You won the Brownlow medal. You won the premiership. So during the course of that season, you had one. I think it was a fifteen-game winning streak, mate. And um, you started. You started beating. You started that with beating the defending premiers Essendon. And um, over that year, you you kicked twenty-eight goals, five hundred and ten disposals, mate. Tell us about the build-up to that grand final, the big dance with Essendon, and kicking two goals to win your first premiership. 
Yeah, it actually starts just before then. So we played Carlton down at Princess Park and they fucking flogged us. I did my hammy in the second quarter. Not bad, but just enough to not be able to play at the game. And I said, you know, fuck, boys, even I can't save you. They were just that good. So after the game, we're all there and Lee gives us, the, you know, the, the spray. There's a famous story around that, which, you know, you just give it to these drug testers about, fuck, didn't you see the game today, boys? None of my boys are on drugs. Get fucked. Yeah. So it, it was uh, – it was a really bad loss. And then we come up and play Adelaide. And, and Lee, I remember that week, Lee and Victor Popoff, our great and great mate, he's uh, still a great mate, were arguing over my hamstring. And Victor's like, you know, Victor's, you know, Olympic fucking physio. He's Tour de France physio, like he's fucking jet. And him and Lee, like Lee's got the mentality, mate, hamstring three weeks. And, you know, Victor's like, mate, it's only slight. It's, he's going to play this week. And Lee's like, no, he's not fucking blind. And and Victor and him are having a full-on argument in the middle of the fucking over. Eventually, Victor wins because, you know, mad, mad Cossacks, they fucking generally win because, you know, they don't want to fucking mess with them. And I play. And we have the, one of the greatest games in the world. If you ever see the Adelaide versus Brisbane game, have a look at uh, Darren Jarman. Uh, Andrew Jarman, sorry. Mm. I know, no, Darren Jarman. He kicks goals like I do, left and right foot. It's so quick, you almost you miss them. And we lose that game by five points. And when we go in, it was ripping game. Obviously, could have gone either way. Went down the wire. We come in and Lee's like, ah, well, at least that's better than last week. It's an honourable loss, which it was. It was an honourable loss. And then the next week, we've got the undefeated, you know, champions from the year before with Essendon. And Essendon were a team that, when you looked at it on paper, like our talent and our experience in the AFL was actually quite similar. And we didn't mm-hmm. realise that until Lee put it up on the board before he, that famous quote, which he yeah, put right. on with the Predator, you know, if it bleeds, we're going to kill it, you know. And we were sitting there going, man, we don't really believe you, but, you know, shit, we'll give it a crack. Like we had to all play our little part and Lee was very adamant that if you can, you can accept the role and do the role and, and get it done, we've got a chance. And because they bleed, you know, if you run into them enough, you knock them over and they've got to get up. So... We have a famous 20-point win, and I was saying this morning on another podcast that the thing that annoyed us about that was afterwards, Matty Lloyd is a superstar, you know, mm. full forward of Essendon. He's at the airport, and I remember seeing it on Fox at the time, and he's like, oh, yeah, we just had a bad day. Like, give us no fucking respect about how well we played. Never yeah, never mentioned that we, we, we perhaps were, you know, coming or going to be a good enough team because at that stage I think we were four and five or something, get to okay. five, five, and we go and play in Perth the next week and we beat West Coast over there because, you know, they're all on fucking drugs and shit. So we beat them <laughs> quite comfortably in the wet. I got three brand low votes. It was a fucking great game. But we, we went and won the next sort of 15, 16 games, including the grand final against Essendon. And I, I remember thinking – one, I won the brown on the Monday, which was crazy. That was on the tw- – my number of plates like JA24. People are like, why do you wear 24? Like, yeah, you wore number 12. I said, well, uh, I won the brown on the 24th of Feb. I was 24 years of age. Won the premiership when I was 24. I got married on the 12th. I was 24 years of age. You fucking want me to keep going? Like, it did the, the best number <laughs> ever. So this year, this is like the 20th year anniversary of all those things. you got the Brownlow. you got the premiership. So I've organised a game up, up uh, in Noosa – Noosa Springs, so hopefully all the boys down south can come up for that. That'll be a great couple oh, of man, days. I'm coming right up, up for that. Oh, yeah. Man, you just want to be in the crowd and see Lee Matthews trying to get out of the money. Fucking, 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 fucking bungers would be hilarious. No good out of bungers. Oh, so anyway. good. So anyway, that that was that was just a crazy year. But to win, like ANSET collapsed. Like people forget that. So we had no yeah, way to yeah, get down there. Itch. We all flew ANSET. So. Like, there was so much going on around that, mm. and not to be at the Brownlow in the room was was 
good for us because we don't want to travel. And then, of course, you know, to be in the legends room, you know, fucking Ackermanus room, whatever they call it these days, it was it was an honour. Like I'm in my I'm in my club suit, and I remember halfway through, I was going all right. I'd sort of carry the fucking midfield for the first half of the year before we came good, and everyone else jumped on the bandwagon. But uh, <laughs> the uh, PR, our, our public. Uh, media manager Peter Blucher comes over and he said, mate, you, you better get a speech ready because you're a fair chance. And I got interviewed halfway, so I was a fair chance. But Andrew McLeod, one of my great mates I played with for Australia, and we always always got on great, always have a great chat when we catch up. But he, he was pretty unlucky. He won every, every fucking award. But the thing was, not everyone saw all the games and people didn't realise how good the games were early when I picked up so many three votes. So... Yeah, she was a crazy year, but I would certainly take it. But two votes to beat Andrew McLeod, that wasn't an easy yeah. thing, but, you know, it happens. It was a so the big day, you, you can cut short to um, you don't have to go over the whole game, but huge, huge grand final, right? Like your first ever grand final. You kick the two goals, and one of the most memorable to seal it, it wasn't the winning goal, but it turned out to be sort of the winning goal, but um, a big left-footed snap. Over you, over your left. Oh no, that oh, was that, next year. That, that was, was next year. Yeah, yeah, next year. But yeah, kick, you, know, you kicked two there. goals that 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 game. Huge. I think, yeah, I think I kicked. I uh, kicked one goal early. And being a Brownlow medalist, man, I've never seen anything like it really because the pressure, like people walking down the street, going, "Man, I got you for Norm Smith." I'm like, "Fucking Norm Smith, best player on the ground." You mean fucking my teammates? Like, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, I never that pressure. So. You know, winning the Brownlow, I was my expectations were sort of already here, like they're pretty high. But when you're in a Brownlow, like it, it just goes up. Like you're up yeah. here all the time. You can't have a bad game. You're, you're, you're sort of the standards that you go to, even as a person in life, just go through the roof. So I, I sort of had to deal with that pressure. Didn't have the best game of all, but I, I certainly contributed. Kicked a good goal early. I actually kicked both the last goal for us in both the first and second one. Obviously, the second one. Well, it was a crazy, crazy victory over a very oh, good team awesome. on the day in Collingwood. And, you know, the, yeah. the winning goal was, was really cool considering I'd ripped my right adductor half off the bone sort of ah. a minute 30 into the game. That wasn't much fun, let me tell you, particularly because I was so good in the wet. I mean, I, I was I was smiling on the way in the bus on the way to the game. I'm like, man, it's wet. I'm like, you know, on a roll here. I've got seven three voters with the brown. I'm rubbing my hands together. Fucking tore my groin off the bone, fair thing. I'm like, fucking, what a, what a, it could have been, it certainly could have been worse, could have all torn off and it couldn't run, but I had enough power to sort of get through. Lucky it was a wet day, but to kick the winning goal against Collingwood, who had a great game, was, uh, and Rocker's goal to miss, of course, was pretty mm. cool. Is that right? Yeah, bloody oh. So that, that season you had the next year, was it, was it hard to pick yourself back up after that almighty hive win in the first grand final? Yeah, it was. I mean, I had uh, the time they gave me these drugs just to get rid of a little bit of cystic acne called Roaccutane, which fucked me up bad. It took me a long time to get off that. Plus, I'd had uh, our, our sort of 2002 season was actually really good. Uh, year to year, we obviously the grand final was much closer, but you know, the years are crazy. Um, and Port Adelaide had a great four years really until they won it. So, we're minor premiers for most of that and really good team. But for us, we just felt like we had another gear, just sort of we could we could go to in finals. And I never really worried. I, I don't think the group I've, I've talked to them about, I don't think any of us were worried about we couldn't beat Port or we couldn't beat Sydney or we couldn't beat West Coast, even though they were on fucking drugs and all that shit, or, or St Kilda, whoever was yeah, was yeah. the team, the, the good other three or four teams. So, yeah, it was, it was always just like, oh, well, if we do a few of these things. And often they'd beat us just through the year and we'd, we'd work out, okay, well, if you stop that and that, that – 
I don't think they got much else. So and sure shit, they didn't. And that was that was the beauty of I suppose competing. You get to know each other so well that you're really ready for them. Even though our game plan was pretty obvious, like you know, it wasn't really like rocket science. It was it was for their everyone to see, but they still couldn't stop it. Yeah, absolutely. So the 2002 grand final, you kicked uh, the left foot snap. What's the feeling like um, doing something like that in the grand final? Like, uh, well, it was good afterwards, but I tell you, during the game, like I was in so much pain. I mean, I went over to Victor and I said, "Mate, there's something wrong with my groin," and and he had a good look at it. It wasn't great. And he said, "I can't give you anything because it's a tendon. I can't. We can't deaden it." And I'm like, "What do you mean you can't fucking deaden it? Like, you give me something." So they gave me a couple of panadol and urofen because you know that's all you could get back then. Because mate, uh, watching it live, all the commentators were saying the same. Yeah, yeah, they were like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" There was something not right. So yeah. when you're injured, you, you got a choice. You go off and you don't contribute. And I said, well, it's the last game of the season. I didn't know how bad it was, but I knew it wasn't good, considering I lost all my power, I couldn't kick. And the beauty of my coaches, you know, teaching me to kick both feet. And, uh, I mean, I was as good a player ever play kicking the ball. So it wasn't – it was something that I was happy to go on the left. I played, I think, my 150th and I tore my right quad pretty uh, bad, like uh, in the rectus femoris, which is a bad one. And just played the rest of the game. Couldn't get to full pace, but could get kick left foot all game. So, you know, and still kick like three or four goals. So you can get around in footy back then. You probably might get found out a little bit, but you could you certainly could contribute. So in the end, all I could do, I got 15 touches and I was falling over, had no power, but I could still do something. And I did a couple of really good things and, I, of course, kicked that goal. So that was it's sort of good and bad, like life, it all has both. You know, you, the game could have been better and would have great not to have those groin injuries and happened right then because it was going to be the greatest day of my life. But in the end, it happened and then I had to wait till the next year and got in and had a, had a blind up, kicked five goals too. So, you know, who gets oh, three yeah. chances, let alone four, and you, yeah, exactly. you just got to realise you're pretty grateful to be in that. But, yeah, fucking torn to duck that. I, mean, I was saying this morning, so after the game. How, at, how, how much did it hurt? Oh, well, you know, you know what it's like getting kicked in the balls. Like it's it's like not as bad as that, but that after yeah, yeah. effect where it's sort of it's like really painful in the nerve. It was like that, but all down the side of my adductor into my yeah, right. into my leg. And I remember so you know, we win, we won back to back, got a mad Monday, I fucking on the gas, and on the Tuesday I had to go and get surgery with Neil Helping or, or a couple of days after. I don't know if it was the next day, but it was pretty soon after and and he tells a story because I have the anesthetic, of course. So, you know, I can pass out like a bit burning. And he said he made the incision because what they do is they cut the tendon off so it grows back his muscle. It takes about nine months and he had to do both sides, which is always awkward because, you know, he's down there with the fucking sundown shine and, you know, the good bits are. And he <laughs> apparently he made the incision and the blood went, it sort of had pulled. It, he thought he hit an artery because all the blood went spurting up over his head, and he's oh, gone, fuck, what? I've hit an artery. Quick, you know, he's going to die. And of course, it was just the, all the blood from all my fucking drinking had pulled in there, and it was stuck in there. So when he did that, <laughs> it, at least so he was like, oh, I thought I was going to kill you. So he told typical, me this after I wake up. Typical you know, I went, yeah, it went great. And you know, by the way, fucking, I thought I killed you. So I was like, oh well, that's good. That's <laughs> mate. Talking about talking about kicking with both feet. You you're regarded as one of the greatest, and still are one of the greatest kickers of both. No, feet. not not one of, not one of. There, you can't, you can't. Me. Me. I'm not, I'm not arrogant with saying this, but you, you know one better, and I'm telling you that, not in yeah, my era, exactly. not in the past era, even Absolutely. now, there, there's really not anyone that was no. able to take that that two sided game to the next level. It just. I just practiced so much, so it was there yeah. when I needed it. And, and often, some of the best goals I ever kicked were left foot, like 
Goal of the year was that foot two thousand two. All the highlights. You, yeah, if you get on the on the boundary line either side, you're hitting it right or left. It doesn't matter. So it's Lee Matthews once like said regarding the fact that you can't call it freakish because it was you did it so fucking often. Like, were you always ambidextrous or did you train to learn that? Or how yeah, did that yeah, come no, about, I trained mate? to learn it. Yeah, I, I certainly yeah, trained. Yeah. So when I played cricket, I could bat both hands. I could throw both oh, hands. No I could, but but it wasn't. It wasn't like uh, I could just do it because I genetic that. I still obviously had great genetics where I had good hand eye, but I I always practice it, and so that was yeah, the key. Right. So even when I was a kid, like every every drill, every second kick would be left foot. So and, and medium long kicks would come, and for a long time there until I busted, unfortunately uh, broke my ankle uh, in my second season doing tackling drill. Uh, but you know I was better on the left foot for short kicks every day of the week. Like it was. It was crazy good. So, yeah, it, it's sort of the, the universe is strange sometimes. But, you know, I just, my practice, I'd be out there. I remember the, there would be a crowd in, in there having a tour and you could see out onto the ground. And Tuesday afternoon, I'm the only one on the ground. I've got six footies kicking goals from everywhere. So that's the type of practice that I would do. And it was yeah. it was not – I loved it. Like, it, for me, it was warm. It's the middle of the day. No one's around. You've got the whole place to yourself. You can practice from any spot, uh, mm. you, out of the middle, you know, getting your range. And they're the type of things I think, you know, you, you should be doing. But most of them, you know, they might do at the end of training, like their body gets it's, sore. It's, so. It reeks of Michael Jordan. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, MJ, yeah. Loved, he was my favourite MJ when I was a kid. And it's sort of funny because he's 6'6 six, six and, and uh, quite dark and I'm I'm 5'9 and look like a Viking. And, <laughs> but, you know, but I love basketball. That's why I'm playing tonight because, you know, you, he was a hero of mine. I'm, I'm sure I'll have a better car collection one day, but, you know, he's, he's a superstar. And I, you know, but he had no left hand. I mean, he, he did use his left, but he was so good on the right. He's just yeah, a yeah, freak. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. a freak. So uh, moving on to 2003 Grand Finals against uh, Collingwood, who pumped mm. by 50 points. You and a few blokes were under a few injury clouds leading into the match, along with the fact that Collingwood beat you a few weeks earlier in week one of the finals. Was there a sense yeah. of doubt or Definitely. were you back in the boys? Definitely. So when Collingwood beat us by four points at the G, it was a good game and, and Dido mm. kicked one late, a little little swing, a little sort of uh, inside out and got the goal and they win and we have to come back up here. And we end up going to Sydney in the prelim, beating Sydney the only time ever at the ANZ Stadium and they were having a good game up to three-quarter time and then we just they just got stage fright. We ran over them. So going into that third grand final, the thing that happened though during the three weeks that we – we were pretty banged up when we started it with Collingwood. But by the time we got to the grand final, everyone, and I mean everyone, except for Nigel Lappin, who has, he had his ribs broken by Sean oh, Hart yes. accidentally late yeah, in the game. Every bloody rib. Every, <laughs> er, everyone was coming good. So over the three or four weeks, our health of our players actually was going up, and it's very rare to do. We were getting better and recovering better. So it was like all of a sudden this, uh, you know, the, the old rapid day, but we're starting to feel better as – as the season going on, was very unusual. So by the time we get to the grand final, we're worried about Collingwood because they had the, a lot of changes, had a lot of young players in who were really quick, really athletic. We weren't sure if they show up and play their game and we made an athletics carnival, they, they'd be a big show. They lost Rocker in the prelim, which really hurt them. I think that was probably uh, internally re- did the job that we didn't have to do. So by the time we get to the game, 
you know, they've made a few errors early. We made them pay. All of a sudden, bang, we're on the scoreboard. And and when you get to sort of that 25, 30 points in the grand final, fuck, it's not easy when you're young to come back from there. And I think not having Rocker is really key for their sort of that he goes, he sort of center forward, goes ruck and comes out. And he, he does an amazing job. And he's really important for their structure. So not having him, I mean, he talked to a Collingwood supporter that year. They, they were like, thanks, Rocker, for fucking up. And yeah. <laughs> so. He goes from being nearly the hero the year before, kicking that goal, to missing it. I don't know if it was a goal or not, but it obviously wasn't because they didn't give it. But then the next year, not even being there when he was really just the backbone of their their offense, the way that they rolled. So, yeah, we have a big win and it was fucking over. Like it was – you couldn't drink your own bathwater, but we were saying at halftime, just keep going. These boys are going to shit themselves. They're not yeah, playing yeah, the footy yeah. that we expected. And, you know, them beating us in that qualifying final was a really bad idea in the end because if we got a chance at them that we weren't going to give them any mercy, they knew we were coming. Bloody oath. So it's it's so difficult to, like, even achieve your childhood dreams of playing in the AFL. And then once you made it, to actually reach a grand final because, mate, there's hundreds, if not thousands of players that don't even play one. But you did it four fucking times. Mm. I mean, you won three in a row. So your name, along with a few of your teammates, if not all of them, you're going to be etched in AFL folklore for the rest of the time. How, How does that make you feel? Yeah, and there were times, you know, when you're coming through, you're like, uh, they would come last, so you're like, am I, do you want to be here? And then Sydney mm. tried to poach me through that period. Like, there was there was times where you could have easily left it. But being, your life's about, you know, it's pretty good when you persevere because you do get rewarded. Mm. It does it does look after you, whether it's in a business or, you know, with your, with your studies or, you know, being better at something. I think, though, that that group, you know, that, you know, Craig McRae, for example, he's probably going to get the uh, pies job coming up. And he's, you know, he was involved in seven VFL where you coach one and then AFL premierships. Yeah. And last year, this is before the game when Richmond won. So he's up here and I caught up with him. And he said, brother, mate, these guys wouldn't get ten within 10 goals of us. Not a fucking mm. chance. So he's the three out of four year premier. And he's like, man, they wouldn't get, get close to us. And I think that team, how big and strong they were, but the, people didn't realize how, how good we could run was quick and, you know, could run all day. We had a lot of really good runners. Like, you know, you do a three K test and that, that would beat every other team, probably the top six. So it was, it was a really special group, but then to have that all come together after being last and beating the best and being up for so long, like obviously it's a rare thing, but, I tell the stat there's like uh, there's three blokes in the history of the game that have played over 300 games, won a brand low and three premierships. So I think that's gone, might have gone up in the last sort of five or six years. But, you know, there was like me, Blackie, and, and a guy called who played for Essendon. What was his name? Shit. I should know it. When, uh, he was he was a gun. Anyway, he played back in, you know, when they had horse and cart, whatever that fucking was, 100 years ago. But he, he's a superstar. Uh, not Button. He was... No, he was uh, he was he was Fitzroy. Anyway, come to me, but he was you know it was very rare. So you talk about the players that play playing at a grand final, playing for winner Brownlow, like lucky cream of the Smith, cream like, of the crop, eh? Hey? Like you, you're in you're in a such a small rare company. You got blokes that have done two Norm Smiths, and you you know Andrew McLeod, that's that's fucking rare. They yeah, run yeah. two flags, but then you got guys like Dusty run you know three Norm Smiths, like unheard yeah. of, unheard of. Yeah. So there's not many of us, that's for sure. Best team ever, you reckon? In my mind, oh well, I'm biased, but I think I think the travel factor, like the other two teams, Geelong and Hawthorne, after us, you know, it's I always say, and as you know, a guy called uh, Bill Bird, I've seen Bill Bird. He's a he's a comedian, 
and he's you know he's a great comedian but he he made the point which i thought was really good and he said you know he's like fuck it's like saying that michael jordan michael jordan is the best because he's the original see kobe Bryant come after him and does all the moves doesn't mean he's fucking better and you know lebron can come and do those moves but he's he's not better it's like saying oh well because you can play jimmy hendrix classic that jimmy come up with that you're a fucking better musician than jimmy hendrix it's like yeah. saying that you know adelaide who did the back-to-back they were the original kings in the afl that was fucking unbelievable effort and for us to go three in a row and four four flags and, and would have had a chance if the afl didn't fucking railroad us like they did at headquarters but mm. you, you know that that's unheard of so i think you know, the originals stay, the guys that have come haven't bettered it. They've done well. They've won three flags over multiple years. They've certainly had a longer stint at the top, but you didn't have free agency. Like, we didn't have that. And all the other stuff that you can do and manipulate, you can move players in and out pretty quickly. So I think when you've got the restrictions and the rules that you, you do today, um, that, that would have helped us even more so. So four could have been five. Like it's I'm, I'm with you on that one. I agree. Yeah, but I'm biased, so you know you can take it or leave it. And there's always argument for Geelong supporters and fucking Hawthorne nah. supporters. Oh, I'm, yeah. a Brizzy, I'm a Brizzy boy, so it definitely lines. So you know, I was in that team, and mate, they weren't getting close to us. And we had to play against blokes on drugs and all kinds of shit. And we still yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What do you do? What do you do? Biggest grand final bender. Which one was the best? And how long did they usually go for? I reckon the 2003, man, it just kept going like fucking Really? Yeah, you had Mad Monday, had Mad Monday, and then, you know, we, back then you still would have like a review and, you know, blokes, some blokes would have to get moved on because of trade and we lost Craig Bolton, who was a great player, but couldn't oh, quite crack yes. the team. He ended up going to Sydney and becoming a captain yeah. and great All-Australian yeah. centre forward, but he couldn't even get a game with us. So shows you the depth then, but, you know, you'd go out and then it'd be like, it'd be Wednesday, you're already Mad Monday, so you're already over fucking drinking. And the boys would be like, mate, I'm just heading down to the pub. Anyone want to come? Fucking everyone will show up. And there's like, Friday night, we're down to this pub. Fucking we'd all show up. And I'm sure our partners and wives at the time, many of us still married. Oh, they loved it. Uh, probably they loved hated it, it hated it immensely. <laughs> but we had a great time. It went on for like three weeks. And oh, uh, I remember so I remember asking uh, Jew Fart, who uh, played for Adelaide in the Flags, who's a coach now, and I said, what's it like, man? Because it's like we're playing the Australian team together. He's a goalie. So it's like 99. He's like, oh, man, I'm telling you, it's the best. You just think that, you know, you're overdone celebrating and then there'll be another one and you just keep going. It goes on for three weeks. Well, he's fucking right because he just kept going. And, and to our credit, though, we'd never worry. We got back to preseason, got back to Christmas and then started the preseason games and we were always right to go. So those boys, uh, they certainly played hard and they played hard off the field, but they got themselves in shape. It'd be like... Dennis Rodden, really, once you're in, you're like, you know, laser focus. But when you're out, you're just fucking paint the town red. See, criminally who, underrated old Rodman. Who Who's the best was. on the piece? Oh, mate. You know, Jonathan Brown and Tim Notting and, oh, and yes. fuck. They, they were. Hey, they're big boys, though. Yeah, they they're are big, big dudes. Boys. They're big dudes and they can drink. I mean, Tim Notting's face, it just gets bigger and bigger. I don't know how he does it. It just gets more puffier. <laughs> Looks like it just like, Someone's pumped it up with a balloon of alcohol. But, you know, you got Pikey as well. I mean, Pikey could have gone on a five-day bender and you wouldn't even know that he was fucking any different. He would just be like, oh, there's Pikey again. And I went to sleep and got up and there, there he is again. So they're pretty big drinkers. But, you know, Michael Voss could fucking throw them back too. And, you know, we yeah, with some big dudes. I mean, the average high is 190. So these guys can, you know, big bellies. They can certainly drink. And when you got Chris Johnson and, you know, you name it, except for maybe – you know, Marcus Ascroft, whose dad was an alcoholic, so you don't want to go there, but he, he would have a drink. He wouldn't drink that many. 
And Short Heart was very religious, so he didn't drink that many. But the rest of us, we made up for it. Don't worry about that, mate. We had Reese. We had Reese Wesser on um, Panther Penrith Panthers. Great, um, and he said like after they won their 2003 premiership, all the boys went down to the the bloody tattoo parlor and got their tattoos. Is that something that you boys did, or was that an AFL thing, or not really? Yeah, it is an AFL thing. Yeah, a lot of guys do have tattoos. I think uh, there's a couple of famous tattoo stories. One is uh, Ash McGrath. He got a little bit drunk, uh, Bunge, and he won mm-hmm. the 2003. So he won one and he went down to tattoo us. He said, mate, can you put 2003? And I don't know whether he was just like an inebriated or, or the bloke didn't listen, but he's got a tattoo on his back, Premier's 2001, two and three. And it was only in one. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he completely fucked that one up. But the other the other one was Lee, Lee Matthews had a good saying, which – you know, I, I sort of took on and, and I had I got one tattoo, which is here, and I got it quite young and I was like, man, I don't need another one. Anyway, winning the premises, I was like, let's get another one. And Lee said, man, you only get a tattoo for a grand final if you think it's going to be your last. I was like, fair enough. So I never got one thinking I might be able to get another one. So I nearly did, but, yeah, it was not a bad one. Well, never pretty late. much all those boys have, have a – it's around their ankle or something, somewhere out of place. They weren't really like they are now where you've got tough stickers all down your arm and shit, don't Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Sorry, kids. Don't have kids. Oh, mate, tell me about it. So would someone best describe you as a bad loser or a serial winner? I think, um, you know, I like to win. And, you know, winning feels a lot better than losing. So I'm not a great loser. Uh, I'm not the world's most humblest winner either. Um, I suppose <laughs> when you come from not much, winning sort of only, anything you have. Much Even now, like I was banned from playing board games with my daughters for like 10 years. I'm, I'm probably still banned. You're kidding. And yeah, I'm just just my wife says, you can't, you can't play. Anyway, <laughs> so last year, <laughs> last year, so I made a mind, my best mate in primary school, he lives in Chicago, he married a Megan who's Megan, I married a Megan, our mum's the best friends. He gives me a Monopoly game, which is Chicago game. Anyway, I take a photo and I send it to him and I said, Clint, mate, we finally got it out. We're ready to go, Chicago, Opoly. And uh, and I'm there. The next photo I send him was me having every property. I've completely fucking destroyed the kids. I've destroyed the wife. I've taken all their properties. I've bought, you know, bought it all off them. And I said, uh, job achieved. Uh, back to back to dictatorship. Anyway, he sent me back. He said, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't think anything less because you know, that's the way I, I roll. When even a fucking board game, I'm like, let's destroy everyone. Like, you know, let's take them, let's win. You know, that's why would hilarious. you want to fucking lose? So <laughs> I, I'm really even tonight, like playing basketball. Like, I got thrown out. I've been banned from three golf clubs because of fuckwits. I got his thank cop fuckwits. And then you know, I, like I got thrown out of the old stadium we played at. We had to go to another stadium because the players are like, we need better refereeing because these guys have no fucking idea what they're doing. And of course, I blow up at them. And in in basketball, you know, they're like fucking nipple. They're like, they're like soccer players, they fucking roll around and carry on. So you know, I'm like, you know, and Aussie rules go, what the fuck was that for? To the ref, and he doesn't care. He's like, no, no, no that was a free kick. Where you do that in basketball, mate, that tech foul, and you're off, and you know, two fouls. And so I got yeah. thrown out of the stadium a few times to the work that you can't fucking tell rest what you think. So. So yeah, it's it's a bad it's a bad thing. I I've got to be a better loser, but fucking why would you want to be? You know, there's already exactly. enough fucking losers out there. You exactly. might as well win and you know just keep reminding them. Great answer, <laughs> great answer. So uh, 
You ducks a couple of school subjects in grade 12 while playing AFL on the weekends. You speak Spanish and you've learned Auslan sign language due to mm. your parenting laws being hearing impaired. That's incredible, yeah, it's, mate. Yeah, it's pretty good. Cool. I just go, obviously, like an ADHD brain like mine is, uh, is, is good at hyper focusing. So, you know, Phelps and Michael Jordan and myself, there's probably, there's like 18% of pro athletes. They're all like that. And it, it's sort of funny because you've got this intelligence but you can't really use it like in school. Like I'd sit there and it's so, you know, boring and restrictive and, of course, uh, you mm -hmm. know, it's all stepped out. So when I did uh, like when I did my full licence here to get my full licence in real estate and, and auctioneering, like, oh, fuck, my head nearly fell off because to do online is, is very structured. So my mind just – it just cannot, you know, take in the content. Yet if I was in a class and I could talk about it, I would pick it up. So yeah. being around men as an 18-year-old, that was the key. So I went from being not a great student to all of a sudden not caring about these other fucking blokes who were – like they had no career. I was already playing in the AFL, making – making decent money. These guys didn't even have a job. They, they were hoping to go to uni. So that, they've caught up over the years because, you know, they've gone out and they, they got educated. But I was hanging around men. So my maturity just quickly jumped. But then my attitude towards class, it's all of a sudden being a pretty shit student. I started to, started to go really well and start ducking a few things. And I'm like, man, small business. I love small business. I'm still, I'm still in small business. So, yeah, yeah it was, it was kind of crazy. But the language side, like, I could always remember words. It used to be very frustrating, you know. My, my Russian uh, physio Victor, he would teach me like Udin, which is one, and and na spinol na which is front and back, and, and all the and oh, yeah, Jopa and fucking Hoi Black and very bad words. So, <laughs> you know, he would teach me that when you remember him. But then I could I could at least talk and then I got frustrated. So I got a tutor in, I learned Spanish, I got a tutor in, learned Japanese. And with my wife's oh, parents being Ah, being, sort of snare. So there's nair, sort of snare. You want to be sort of snare is water. Fucking <laughs> but uh you know, when I travel and you know, we lived in Japan, so that was that was really cool. But I think I think they appreciate it if you try. Like a Japanese yeah, is too yeah, nice. Sure. Like when you yeah. when you fuck it up in Japanese, they don't ever try and help you. But you fuck it up in Spanish and they say, Oh no, uh I said come said this ahead, I say this, and they say, you know, they'll help you out. But you say that to a Japanese person, like they're too kind. <laughs> they're too kind. Yeah. They're too kind. Yeah, yeah. So but Auslan, <laughs> Auslan's like a really, really cool language. Like it's really easy to learn. But having uh in laws, I had no choice, we were there yesterday. For the mm. uh, my niece's ninth birthday, and so we're talking. I have chin wag, and you know, doing this and that, and you know, it's it's not as in depth as what they can go because they talk so much faster. But you know, it's still pretty cool. And the girls, they learn, but I think that's a bit blase for them. But they certainly can, they can all sign. It's pretty cool. You could talk to each other along, you know, a long way apart. And I could talk to my wife who was in the crowd. I couldn't yell at her, and I'd tell her how long I'd be if I had to get physio or rub after the game. So it come in handy occasionally. Yeah. How, how do you rate the, um, you know, like on the daily updates with the COVID stuff and they've got that long-haired lout on there, how do, you rate, mm. how do you rate the sign language and they're doing the dances and stuff like that? Do you add a little bit of jazz to your stuff or? Oh, yeah, no, that because it's, it's so much about expression. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, expression. Right. It's all around sort of from here up. Like you're always and you're signing, you get, you got your base hand and you, you, you can finger spell, but then, of course, there's the bigger signs. Those guys are nearly always coders, which are kids of deaf adults. So they're, they're really good. Like they've been raised hearing, but they're in, you know, their parents are both deaf. And some of them come from long line, like might have three siblings who are deaf and then a parents who are deaf, but they're not. So that all their life they go to school and they, they, they speak English and they go home and they, all they do is sign. So That's it's, amazing. Those guys, if you ever talk to those guys, they're amazing. They, you know, obviously they're bilingual, but, you know, when they've got to 
got to interpret like there's another level like i i would get in trouble like i'd go to a party and i remember one day i was i was doing a sign there's a sign for popular and and uh and favorite and congratulations they're like the same sign and I, I said this sign about something and i was talking to a guy from adelaide you know and he's like mm. he was like where did you learn that they, you know we signed him where'd you learn that i said what do you mean the only guy i talked to is gary mig his dad so you know he but he's got queensland slang so in Victoria and South Australia, they don't use that sign for that. They have another sign. So he started getting up me for having the wrong fucking sign. I'm like, hey, 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 man, is it not that serious? Like, <laughs> this slang, that how so bloody awesome is that? There's slang, even in, at that level, and you see it all over the world, like, you, you know, the different sign languages. Oh, and stuff. So, you know, you can, still, you can still get caught out, but I, I don't care. I only talk to really Queensland deaf people anyway, so it was no big deal. <laughs> That's so good. So is coaching something you want to get into? I know you've had a dabble and um, I don't know if you're still doing it, but or have you finally come to peace with the game and now that you started your own real estate agency, Blue Moon Property? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe Stagman's properties has probably been like, I still do, I've got my crypto, it's the biggest crypto in the world, thankfully. Like it took four and a half years to build that. I've been in FX, so and AR goes with the crypto. So um, I'd never say never on coaching, but you know, to do a degree in coaching, I just couldn't get a job in the AFL. So I'm like, you know, they're fucking, they're telling you, man, the universe is telling you you ain't going to get a job, so don't fucking waste your time. And so I've been, I certainly have been far more purposeful, but I've got so many more ways of, of increasing, mm. uh, you know, what you get paid to be a football coach these days. It's still really good, but, you know, you can earn 50 times more doing real estate and all the other businesses that we do. So, Absolutely. you know, in the end, yeah, I want my weekends. And the other thing, too, I don't want to be involved in the club because you can't bet on games. So, you know, the, yeah, I, I know yeah. study footy, so I could always, yes. always win some money betting on the first goal kicker That's or so multis. True. And yeah. So I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. You you could take your 150 grand a year. I mean, you can earn that uh, if you've got any brains in real estate. Shit, it's, you know, that's a good game to be in because you could do leasing, commercial leasing, resi, and, yeah, yeah. and of course, you could sell. So, you know, that's uh, it, it took a long time. Don't worry. It's taken me a long time to purely you know to be free of the industry but it's it's yeah. happened and and i'm glad i'm glad it has because i mean i was with my daughter on saturday he won the club chance for golf you know and sub juniors you know oh, they, how good i wouldn't have that time i would have been at the game or doing something so so you're you know, just a good fan day. now you're just a fan just a fan then lost my voice chat you know shouting from the the bloody box they the, the lions gave me but my, yeah, yeah. my kids were there it was pretty cool we won That's and, a huge game yeah yeah you know i look like an idiot but i don't care I say you support. That's nothing wrong with that. Got to yell at them. Yell at them. So cryptocurrency. I'm a big mm. fan of cryptocurrency. Can you, you are. tell? Not, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I, no. I'm a big fan of crypto. I've right. Got a, with I've a mustache like that, man. A little, little bit of money. Yeah, you probably. I mean, there's nine thousand cryptos, so you probably. Uh, oh yeah. You know, there's lots of them that you know do different things, but when we we built it out of necessity. Like we were trying to use Bitcoin and bolted in the AR. And, of course, AR is like you go through the app and instead of picking up monsters like Pokemon, you pick up bags of money. And so we're in the coffee club in Albury where we were living at the time and we're trying to use Bitcoin. And, and Bitcoin, you can't buy a cup of coffee. Even back then, like it's it costs 40 bucks minimum to 70 bucks. It could take, you know, four hours. It just It's just a really inefficient system. And so mm. we had a worldwide patented product called Splitlock, which is amazing. You can take a photo, electronically shred it, put it in the packets in six different servers in the world. You can never find it. Like it, it's unhackable. So we re-engineered that and a blockchain – 
and smart contracts. Like the blocks of build is pretty simple. I, I send you, Steve, one Bitcoin uh, costs 70,000, I think they were just before, 72,000. Yeah, yep. That goes to the exchange, gets mined, takes about $15,000 to do that mining, data mining, and then eventually it goes to you. And of course, I pay for that. And at the end, you get, you know, I don't know, a coin worth 15000 less because he's mined it. And then that exchange, that particular transaction goes on everyone's computer that's got uh, Bitcoin. So that's that's the ledger. The ledger becomes the block. So those blocks build and build and build. So they, they become like they slow down computing power and all this kind of shit. So very inefficient. And so what we invented was a coin that could go from my wallet through a server and straight to you with the cost of a text message the speed of a text message. And then the other thing too, in 500 years, you could still come back and still buy a cup of coffee because the coin, even though there's 100 million coins, which is five times more uh, Bitcoins, which is the 21 million, even though 3 million are lost and fucking thrown away and all that kind of shit, it could still fraction down to infinite number of zeros. So you're always going to be able to buy from a cup of coffee to a five cent lolly up to a house. You could buy all that. And Bitcoin now, unfortunately, That's it's not scalable. So the guy who invented it is a fucking genius. Like he will be like his gift to humanity will be those products. Like, and then when Splitlock and ZooChat comes out, ZooChat you can you never need uh, Facebook or anything else ever again because you got your own videos that are shredded. They'll never you have no problem with data, or you can let everyone see it. Like it's unheard of. So you've got all your AR, which is the next level of Google and and Facebook ads, and they they cost. You know, let's say a thousand bucks, you might get you know seven seven dollars in sales. Where the AR, you put a thousand dollars out, and you can see everyone that comes in to redeem. So you know, and you only cost you when you redeem. So all of a sudden, yeah, the whole thousand comes back. You go, I spent a thousand bucks, got a thousand dollars back with all the people that came back in. So I know exactly my numbers. So I know exactly what I paid for. It's fucking, it's phenomenal. It's way ahead. So that was brilliant to be a part of that. Yeah, right. So ZooCoin, it's it's called. Um, ZU, yeah, ZU coins. You can look it up on the on your website there. ZooCoins.com, yeah. man. You, When's it live? When, oh, it's actually live. Yeah, so you can use a couple of options. You can buy them live online, either at ZooCoins.com through Britex, which is our European exchange, and yep. Albate, which is the Aussie exchange, or you know a bloke like me who happens to get you a couple off market, which is rare. It's, it's hard to do. So I had a couple of uh, refunded orders so I could go back to the market. You've got to sell them at whatever you bought it. So a few of my guys got picked up uh, cheap coins. The minimum value is like 60 bucks, so that's like yeah. a $6 billion coin. But I got a couple of blokes a little bit off market, a little bit cheaper. So they, they've made a lot of money, so they're, they're pretty happy. But, of course, uh, live, live, we're world live. I think we're just doing the last of the APIs. It's a big job, man. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to do it as a. But anyway, it's it's nearly here. It's, it's out. That word is out. But uh, yeah, yeah. you know, when you got when you got like a, a Model T Ford, which is like the very first blockchain technology that was 2009, January 3rd. Now you've got 13, 12 years later, you've got a split chain, which of course is decades ahead. Uh, and you've got a Bugatti Veyron. You mentioned how excited and how everyone said, mate, you can't build a Bugatti Veyron. You can't build a thousand horsepower. Can't yeah. be done. The engineers got it done. And, of course, you know, uh, it's shown to be the fastest car on the world, earth for a long time. It's obviously a great car. Engineering, amazing. So that's that's what ZooCoins is is mm. going to be, really. They're both both cars. They're both cryptos, but they're completely different. Any so, uh, Jason, price predictions? Well, it's valued at 20% of Bitcoin because uh, it's five times less. That's 20%. So that's about 14000 or something like that, but that's still not fair because with cryptos, the 9000 can drop because all the money can yeah. – the $2, two trillion dollars in cryptos can move over into ZooCoins and then, you know, it can be worth $100,000 a coin. It can go well past Bitcoin. So it's just – it's a better product. So eventually, 
you know, all the world currencies can use it. You don't have to worry about foreign exchange. You don't have any of that shit. South American countries can use it. Pakistan, fucking who cares? They can all use it. Brilliant. So we've got a couple of viewer questions. Um, some sure. fans have written in. They've known that you're coming on. So from uh, Jeremy Simmons, a.k.a. Will Anderson, um, why did you wear the number 12 jersey? The number 12, well, I half of 24 is 12, so I could do my maths. So I'm pretty sure <laughs> that was right. But when I was a kid, I used to wear number 12, and then I worked out later, many years later. There's a photo in my book. It's got number 12. And uh, my mum was shagging number 12 from the senior team. So I was, I was pretty sure that's why I was wearing number 12. So uh, oh. I, I actually wanted to wear 24, but Roger Merritt had it. And Roger Merritt, he just hated me. He thought I was just this lunatic coming through. He's like, fucking, this guy never make it. And so I was like, I'm not wearing 24, even though that was the number I wore in juniors to great success. But so I said, oh, I'll wear 12. Troy Clark was going to retire. So I actually started number 35, then went 20, and then went 12. So it took me three years to get there, but I got there and – I made a famous I'm not going to change it. No, bloody no. Um, another one from Dan Patterson. Um, what would you encourage young fellas to be developing in their life and what should they be aiming at now? You mean footy-wise? Is that what yeah, you want? Yeah, footy-wise, footy-wise. Oh, you got to, you got to kick both feet. I mean, it's the hardest skill in footy is to kick. If you can kick well and you can tackle and chase and you've got, to, you, you know, you've got some go about you, know, coaches love it, you know, because the rest you could teach. You could teach about, you know, zoning. You could teach about some tackling or winning your own ball or defensive sports. You can learn all that in handball. But kicking, man, if you can't kick, uh, you turn the ball over, you, got no, you won't make it in the AFL unless you're a big, dumb ruckman who just kicks it along. And you're great around the ground, you're, you're never going to get anywhere. So always work on kicking. And I spend most of the clients I ever deal with, even now, one on one, it's nearly always kicking, fixing their kicking. Even good players fix their kicking. And non footy advice? Just life advice? Well, you know, the easiest advice I ever give anyone is Phil Jaunty, uh, Dr. Phil. We had, he had the best saying, which was excuses are for losers. So mm. I always think. You know, I always think uh, when I'm mad that the problem's not with them, it's with me. So, you know, anytime you're mad, you got to work out what's going on with you. But every other time you got an excuse, it's for losers and, and you don't want to be a loser. So make sure you don't have any excuses, cover off everything. Do do things good. Like whatever you do, do it well and learn to do it well. Get good teachers. Like, you know, you can't have enough good coaches in life. So hang around the right people, develop the right habits. That's the simplest way to get success. It's not that hard. Awesome. One last one, biggest life lesson learned along the way. Don't get greedy. You know, anytime you get yep. greedy in a deal, you lose out. You know, anytime. I think um, the other thing too is the obstacle is the way, you know, whatever's giving you pain, you got to go and solve it. So, you know, we all have pain. We all have things that are uncomfortable conversations we're avoiding, but as soon as you do it, they're never that bad. And then they're able to be freed up to do other things. So, you know, habits are certainly the, the window of the soul. The soul never dies. It stays around forever. But you, you when you own it, must make it uh, worthy of being in your body because it's it's a hard road. Like life's hard. It's unfair. Fucking not mm. fair. So as long as you understand that, you'll be, you'll be okay. It's only, you know, we, we all give advice, but when you're in the fucking arena, you see the advice you give when you're in the fucking arena. You sit out there, you watch the guy taking on the lines, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, how hard could it be or taking on a fellow man? You're like, fuck, when you do that, when you do this, let me tell you, when you get your ass down in there and you're in front of that Sorry. crowd, piss off. Listen, right. Please... I'm not talking to you. Siri. <laughs> Siri when that's... Um, you know, when your ass is down there and your ass is on the line, you've got to kick a goal in front of 100,000 people and it's your turn. You, 
there's there's lots of things you can think about, but you know, it's your turn in the arena. And so any any advice given for people that never been in the arena is a fucking waste of time. You don't even yeah, I wouldn't yeah, even yeah. let my let my ears listen to it. You know, people go, Oh, you fucking could have done this. If I want real estate advice, I'll talk to the best. I'll go and find them and say, hey, what do you do here? And they're great. But fucking someone just coming in going, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Like, fuck. Yeah. You haven't been in that arena. You've never been there. So don't, don't ever try. And you're and never going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you're never going to be there. You're... Jason <laughs> Akamenis, five-time Hall of Famer. Thanks for coming on, mate. You're being an absolute bloody legend. No yeah, worries. Thanks, the last thing mate. I forgot I forgot to tell you this is that all rich people have one thing in common. They can fucking save. So if you think you want to be wealthy and you think, oh, am I going to get ahead? You have to learn to save. It's fucking even the best. They still won't. Oh, maybe I'll save a bit of money over there. Yeah. Always remember that. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, mate. You've been out. Right, anytime, boys, I'm off the basketball. Fucking wish. Cheers. Good luck. Good luck, mate. <laughs> All right. Thanks, anytime, buddy. boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, All right. Judge Back up. to the wine. Back to the wine. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the official Big Stiff podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Hey, um, Scotty, you there, mate? Yeah, mate, I'm here. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Just type in at the Big Stiff Podcast and you should find us there. Okay, thanks. Bye, guys.